Maybe you've shared the common experience that I have of turning on the TV, opening up Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that, and then spending, I don't know, 15, 20, 30, maybe even an hour just trying to find the right movie to watch. Has that ever happened to you? You I, I think my wife and I over the last year have maybe sat down to watch a movie like five times. I'm pretty sure that at least four of those five times, we've not watched any movie. We've just spent the entire time either watching trailers or what tends to happen, this happens on Amazon Prime, you'll find like one weird movie and like, I gotta see the trailer to that. And then it starts giving you weirder and weirder and weirder movies and I just watch trailers and it's fun and then we didn't watch a movie. So that's kind of sad. But uh, that happens a lot because we have a lot of choices. You have a lot of choices there. You have a lot of choices when you go to get ice cream and you've got 10 flavors and it's like, you know, I really would have all of these flavors. Uh, sometimes it happens when you are at the grocery store You'll find this more and more as you start to do your adulting. Uh, you'll find that, you know what? There's like 12 different kinds of pasta sauce. What's the kind of pasta sauce? I, want? I don't know, like the red sauce. Well, you've got like 20 different kinds to choose from. This happens a lot. It happens, obviously. If you've ever been to Cheesecake Factory, you know what I'm talking about. You get a big menu. That's longer than To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, <laughs> this is a long menu. I just... I don't believe they really have all of the ingredients for that. I just find it hard to believe. I don't know. The kitchen, I've never been in a kitchen for a cheesecake factory, so maybe you work there. Let me know if that's true. But here's the point. When you've got a lot of choices, sometimes you think it's easier to make a choice, but the reality is the more choices you have, what oftentimes happens is it's harder. That's something called the paradox of choice. It's something that um, scientists and sociologists have studied, the idea that the more choices you have, it, it's helpful to a certain extent until it becomes unhelpful. It's not helpful for me to watch a movie. I'd rather go to a movie theater and say, okay, well, there's like 10 movies playing. Which one do we want to choose? And we pick one, and then we go watch it. That's easier for me than finding a movie to watch on Amazon Prime or finding a movie to watch on Netflix. It's just harder for me. Well, we've been talking in this series in Ephesians chapter 5 about marriage. And here's the thing. A lot of people are going to find it very hard to find a spouse. And it's not just because uh, you can't attract a spouse. What happens oftentimes is you got so many people that you will choose from, so many possibilities out there that you can get paralyzed and stuck and be afraid to make any decisions or afraid to make any commitments because, well, there's a lot of options out there. And you know, if I say to you this option, I'm saying no to some other person that maybe I'll meet one day. Well, let me encourage you, or maybe this might discourage you. There are 8 billion people in the world officially, okay? So the chances of you finding someone are relatively high. It's good news. Okay. Here's the problem, though. There might be 8 billion people, but do you know that that little tiny sliver of people right there makes up our entire country? So I know you probably know this, but most people who live in this world do not live in this country, which means you will interact with a very small group of people compared to the whole human population. Now, You've also got the United States, and if you're looking, okay, where do all the people hang out? Our area down there in the, the bottom left-hand corner, it's one of the most densely populated groups of, uh, of, of land anywhere in our country, right? So there are a lot of people there, but there was a study that was done, which I found very interesting, that said the average person only meets 2,000 people, 2,000 people before they turn 25. And I'm talking about you actually meet them, you know their name, you know their face, um, you know who they are. Only 2,000 people, which that's interesting, isn't it? Well, you've got 8 billion people out there, and you're thinking, okay, I want to find someone to be married to one day. Well, you might think that the population pool 
to pull from is big, but the reality is it's probably a lot smaller than we give it credit for. And in fact, you're probably only going to have like less than 10 people that you actually seriously consider getting married to one day, right? I hope you don't have, you know, 2,000 people that you choose from, right? This is not the bachelorette, right? You know, it's not choosing from all these people. Real life does not happen like that. Don't, don't go on The Bachelor. Don't go on The Bachelor. It's not good. Uh, you're probably going to be very disappointed. Uh, anyway, point is, what are I saying? Oh, yeah, you're probably going to have five to ten people over the course of your life that you're going to seriously consider, that might be my wife. That might be my husband. Okay, because if you think that, like, everyone that you interact with is going to be a future husband, ladies, probably not a good thing to think through, not logical. But logically, there's five or ten people that you'll run across in this life before you get married that you're like... They've got potential. I, I might want to pursue a romantic relationship with them. Guys, same thing for you. Your number's probably bigger than 10. But, um, you know, you're thinking any, anybody that likes you, it's like, man, that's the most attractive thing, by the way. If someone likes you, you start thinking, hmm, I didn't think they were uh, interesting before, but now I can see they have really good taste now that they say they like me. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I, did, I, you know, didn't think she was that pretty before, but now, wow, she's really pretty to me. Now that she likes me, she's talking to me. Oh, ladies, same thing happens to you. Guy shows you attention. He seems to care for you, and you're like, wow, he's, he's not that bad, right? And you start laughing at his jokes when he's not that funny, and guess what? There you are. Here's the good news with all those numbers and populations. Here's the good news. Technically, you only need one, okay? There's the encouragement for you today. You only need one, right? You don't need 10. You don't need 2,000. Really, if you're looking for a marriage partner, you're really trying to whittle it down and narrow it down to one person. Well... The reason we're talking about this today is because our next text that we run across in Ephesians chapter 5 is a very simple passage. It's directed to married people in this whole series. I know. It's like, okay, well, I'm not a married person. I'm in high school. So how do I interact with what Paul says to these Christians who are married? Well, I think Ephesians 5.33 might be the single most helpful verse for you as you think about picking a spouse one day. Ephesians 5.33, if you've got it open in your Bibles, it says this, however... Let each one of you, so he's still talking to the guys. He was just talking to them this whole section. Now he's talking to the guys again. Let each one of you, which by the way, in the Greek, it's literally let each and every one of you. It's like an emphasis on the individuals. Make sure that every individual man in this church loves his wife as himself. Everyone loves themselves. Right? I know you've been taught that you just don't love yourself enough. That's not true. The Bible says you love yourself plenty, right? That's not the problem, right? You just don't love other people as much as you love yourself. But he says, hey, husbands, guys, make sure you treat your wife like you'd want you to be treated. Make sure you love her and care for her. You need to make sure you do that. Why does Paul say that and emphasize that over and over again? Guess what? It's because guys are not very good at loving their husbands or loving their wives naturally. They're not very good at it. Love is something that's lacking for most guys. Well, what's next? Well, he says, and let the wife, let these ladies make sure make sure that they respect their husbands, right? Love and respect. Those are kind of the two main commands from this whole passage. And and the reason I'm bringing these up to you and saying this is a good launching point for us thinking about who we're going to marry is because if you would simply use this verse as one of your key filters for choosing a spouse, or not even choosing a spouse, don't worry about that, Worry about, first of all, choosing a person that you might want to get to know who might be your spouse one day in a romantic context. If you can use this verse, this is going to filter out so many people that you might be interested in right now that you shouldn't be interested in. 
This filter will direct you if you're looking for a spouse. Because again, is this to people who are looking for a spouse? No, it's not. Because the Ephesians, if you're a lady in the city of Ephesus and you're married, guess what this text means for you? You need to respect your husband. Even if he's not respectable, respect him. Even if he makes bad decisions, respect him. Look up to him. Follow his lead. Even if, even if you don't like him, respect him. To the guys, he says, hey, it doesn't matter if your wife is a pain. It doesn't matter if she nags you. It doesn't matter if she's not the person that you thought she was when you married her. Love her anyway. That's the command to married people, right? So here's the thing. If you take a step back, and as a single person, think about this first. You're not stuck, right? You haven't made a choice. None of you, by the way, have made a choice for who your life partner is yet, right? Except for you leaders. Some of you have. Um, but the rest of us, we've not made a decision. You're not stuck. And my point is, from this text, I want you to choose wisely. First point that I have for you. You might see this big outline. We'll talk about it later. But the first point, I want you to use the Ephesians 5.33 filter to find the right spouse. Use this verse as a filter. Guys, this is a good filter. Ladies, this is an even better filter for you. To say, there are people who I kind of am interested in and I like spending time with, but I'm not going to anymore because, you know, one day I'm going to have to love and respect for the rest of my life. So I need to, you know, be careful about this decision. Use the filter. What does the filter look like? Letter A, future wives, here's what it looks like for you. You need to look for a godly guy that you respect enough to follow. Because one day that's going to be your command. It's not a command for you right now, right? Because, you know, you're not married yet. But it will be soon. So my point is, if you're going to find a good spouse, the right spouse for you, who do you respect enough to follow? Ladies, one of the common problems for you might be that you are more naturally inclined to find a person that you love. Which again, should you love your husband? Yes. Okay. But here, here's the problem. There's a lot of ladies who get married to guys because they love them, but they don't respect them. They love them like they love a puppy. They feel bad for them. Okay. This is the truth. If you don't believe it, this is the truth. A lot of ladies get married to guys because, well, at least they want to commit to me. Right? And the bar is so low. Okay? Please don't marry a guy you don't respect because it doesn't get easier when you get married. It gets harder because you know what? You're going to have more disagreements. You need ladies, to find a guy that you actually respect. What does that mean? That you look at his life, you look at the way he takes care of his schoolwork, you look at the way he talks, and you say, you know what? I want to be with that person. I respect that guy. Now, that, ladies, is this like your main consideration when you're finding a boyfriend, right? Who do I respect? It's most ladies, it's not their main consideration, which is why this is so helpful for you. Don't marry a loser. Do you hear that, ladies? Don't marry a loser. And I said this before, but here's something that most, most people don't understand, okay? If you date a loser, ladies, you will marry a loser. You will. You will marry that loser. So, again, if you're like, I'm not thinking about getting married. Okay, step one is don't date a loser. You could write that. No, that's not point of truth. But that's the truth. Guys, what does this text help you with, okay? Here's the filter for you. Look for a godly girl who you will choose to love. 
And you can add to that for the rest of your life because that's what you're doing. You're making a choice, guys. When you drop down one knee and you buy a ring that's too expensive or you buy one that's made in a lab, which apparently are better deals these days, so I kind of wish I would have. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, all right, well, yeah, I'm refraining from joke. Uh, Anthony must be looking. That's, that's what I was going to say. What was he saying? Oh, husbands. Yeah, yeah, future husbands. You're going to make a commitment, and I don't know if you understand all that's a part of that commitment, right? Let me, let me help you biblically. The commitment is this. When you commit to marry a girl, what you're saying is, I will love you thick and thin. I will love you sickness and health. I will choose to put you first if you get in a car accident and you're a cucumber for the rest of your life, okay? You understand that? No, seriously, do you understand that that's what you're committing to? Most, most guys don't, right? The married guys didn't laugh at that one, right? Only you single guys laughed at that. Because um, that's what you're committing to. They, I'm going to put this lady first. I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to be sensitive to her needs. I'm going to do all, all what we talked about last week, right? Sacrificing and sanctifying, all those things. That's what you're committing to, guys. Look for a godly girl who you will choose to love. Love is a choice. I know we talk about falling in love like it's a feeling, and there are definitely feelings, and I'm not denying that in any way. I'm just saying, if you're not intentional about who you choose to connect with, didn't mean to yell at you there, sorry. Uh, If you're not intentional about who you connect with, uh, your heart is just going to get pulled in place to place to place, and you're going to find the wrong spouse. So if we're going to talk about this, you got this big chart, right? You see all this stuff? We're going to go through this fast. I'm sorry, that beginning might have been intense for you, but what I want to do is just say this. We're going to talk about dating right now. We're going to talk about romance right now. So what we have done in the past in Ephesians is we've gone verse by verse, and I'm just giving you a warning. We're going, we're separating from the verse by verse nature of the preaching that we've done, okay? This is now what's called topical preaching, or going um, systematically through the Bible and saying, what does the Bible have to say about a particular topic, right? So we're done with Ephesians 5.33, right? So that many sermons over. Um, Start of the second movement of this I want to give you some very clear instructions because the Bible's not super clear about, you know, the, the process or, or what we call dating today. The Bible doesn't mention it. Look up the word. It's not in the Bible, right? You're not going to find it because it's not how most people found their spouses back then. Now, the Bible is sufficient to give us what we need, to teach us what we need for this t- time period, but you're not going to find a chapter and verse that says, okay, this is step one and this is step two. It doesn't say that. Um, but here's what the Bible does do. Point number two, it does give us clear boundaries for what's not okay. So we're going to start there. We're going to start for what's clearly not okay. So point number two, avoid the sins associated with romantic love. There are plenty of sins in the scriptures that are associated or surrounding romance and love. And we just need to be careful. Let's just find these first. Here's how I want you to think about it. This is some ancient city. I think it's in like Eastern Europe. I don't know where it is, but I thought, oh, that's a cool picture. Uh, the idea that I want you to have in your mind is in the Bible, there's a lot of rules that are given, and some people don't like rules. People view rules like walls, right? In some ways they are, right? It's like a boundary marker. Don't go beyond this. Here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the way that the laws are presented is like the laws are like a fence or a wall, a protective wall that keeps the bad from coming in and keeps peace within these walls. So like if you say, okay, with romance and dating and love, I want to stay within what's clearly against God's word. I want to stay within it. Well, then there's real freedom 
and peace and safety and clear conscience and all those things within the boundaries. Without and outside the boundaries, there's not that same um, clarity. So think about it like that. Now, I know it's like nice weather and it looks like everything's nice on the outside, but you know one of the reasons these ancient people built walls was to keep out pestilence and war and things like that so the city could keep going on the inside even if the world outside was hectic and crazy. So here's some obvious sins. One, the first one, letter A, is one that you might not think of. This is not a sin that you're going to be saying is exclusive to people who are dating. This might be a bigger sin for those of you who are not dating right now. Letter A, um, one sin that we need to avoid for sure is making romance an idol. Making romance an idol, that is sin. If you live and die on the love songs that you listen to, if you live and die on finding a girlfriend or boyfriend, the scripture would call that an idol. If you're putting something as the highest, the greatest thing that you're chasing in life, well, then you have what's called an idol. This can be a problem for people who are dating, of course, or in a romantic relationship, because if you put that person above God, if you say, yeah, I'm going to choose to love them no matter what God says, well, then you're probably not really loving them, and you're making that an idol. But this can be something for those of us who are not in a relationship. Let me just give you a couple verses on this. Psalm 16.4, our theme passage for True North, by the way, Psalm 16. In verse 4, David says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The sadness, that's sorrow, of people who run after a false god, whether it be of money or success or fame or romance. You make that your god, the more you run after it, the further down that path you get, your sadness doesn't alleviate. It gets from 2 to 4 to 8 to 16 to 32 to 64, right? It's an exponentially growing amount of sorrow if, You chase a false god. And frankly, romance is a false god. It's not your god. It's not satisfying. It doesn't ultimately satisfy your soul. That's why in 1 John 5, at the end of this book, where John writes to all these Christians, he says, make sure that you keep yourself from idols. He just wrote, early in the chapter, he says, I want you to know that you're saved. For sure, for sure, you know you're saved. But even if you know you're saved, keep yourself from idols because that's going to be a temptation for each and every one of you. Keep yourself from idols. Now, This next passage I want you to write down is very interesting because most people don't associate it with romantic love. It's the time where Jesus talked to the woman at the well in John 4 who wanted to be satisfied with a lot of things. And Jesus is getting water from her. She's she's drawing it out of the well. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. And the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. That sounds like some spiritual truth, right? It is. Saying that only Jesus will satisfy your soul. Only God will satisfy you and truly meet your core desires. And the woman said to him, well, sir, give this water to me. I don't want to be thirsty again. I don't want to come here and draw water again. And Jesus said to her, okay, before I give you that water, go call your husband. Where's your boy at, right? Go get him. Where's he at? Oh, and the woman said, well, I have no husband. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, that's right. You don't have a husband. Uh, but you, you, you're right to say you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands before the one that you're living with now. And the one that you're living with now is not your husband. So immediately he calls her out. And obviously Jesus knows, right? So Jesus knew from this whole time that this lady's past was not good and that she had divorced five different guys. And now she's living with someone who's not her husband and fornicating. So he knows all this. 
And the point is, he's about to draw her to repentance. She's about to become a Christian later in this chapter. But at the very beginning of this, it's just interesting that the way Jesus says this is, you know, I'm offering you something that will really satisfy you. And then he says, I know that you've tried all of this. You've tried romance. How has that worked out for you? Was that a good replacement for God? Did that satisfy your soul? The point is, no, it didn't satisfy her soul. That's a clear sin. You might be a person who's really, really wanting to date someone, and it's consuming your thoughts, it's consuming your life. If it's really doing that, you've got an idol, and it's not going to make you happy. Even if God gave you everything that you wanted, you'd find out that it wasn't that good. Second sin. This is maybe for people who are in relationships. Just this is very clear. Scripture is very clear. Any kind of sexual immorality is outside the boundaries of what God says is okay. Any kind of sexual immorality is sin. God could not make it more clear than this. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says you're supposed to flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Right? It's just a unique kind of sin because it really is an enslaving sin. It uses your whole body. So he says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? If you're a Christian, your body is a temple. So like, you know how in the Old Testament, how everyone treated that like meeting place where God's ark, where his presence was? They treated it like it was really holy. And they had to you know, wear certain things and do certain things. They couldn't approach it. And then in the, later on, the when Solomon built that temple, not, not just any person could just go up and you know, mess with God's temple. Even in the New Testament, in Jesus' time, there's a big emphasis on like, well, God lives here. It's his presence. God's word says, if you're a Christian, his presence is now in you, which when you keep that in mind, that makes sexual sin even worse because you're like using the temple of God to sin against God, right? It'd be like in the Old Testament, which happened a couple times, they'd put up an idol in the temple, or they'd sacrifice to a false god in the temple. He's like, that's what it's like when we commit sexual sin, especially as Christians. He says, you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. Again, most people don't agree with that statement, but that's what God's word is very clear. God owns your body. He made your body, so he owns it once over, and then if you're a Christian, he redeems your body. He owns you twice over. You're not your own, so glorify God with your body. I I skipped this part, but you were bought with a price. Remember what Jesus did to pay for your life. So sexual immorality, right? Any kind of sexual immorality is sin. And if you're questioning, okay, I'm dating, and you know, we haven't you know, had sex or anything, but like, I've gotten close. Well, anything that you think would be falling under the category of immorality, right? stuff that's not okay, well then, that's clearly outside the boundaries. Right? God would say that's not, that's not okay. Thirdly, um, dating unequally yoked is sin. You might say, what's unequally yoked? Well, that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where God's very, very clear. If you are a Christian, don't make your closest partnerships, whether it be business, whether it be friendship, whether it be in, a, I think, the closest relationship we can possibly make is a romantic relationship. Don't, don't make that with a person who's an unbeliever. If you're a Christian, it's out of bounds. Right? So basically, if you are dating a person who does not, so let's say you're a Christian here, right? which again, I know not everyone here is, but let's say you're a Christian, um, so you've repented of your sins, you put your faith in Christ, and you're like, man, I am very interested in dating this person. Are they a Christian? Do they go to church? Well, maybe, I th- sometimes, I don't know. Okay, well, if they're not right with God, it would be sin for you to enter into that relationship. 
And some people say, well, why isn't the Bible more clear about people not marrying a non-Christian? Well, you understand the New Testament was written to a bunch of people who were already married. If you were an adult, you were married, basically. And tons of people were married to non-Christians. That's why there's more information about, hey, if you're married to a non-Christian, this is how you should live. Because plenty of these ladies were, plenty of these guys were married to non-Christians. But your situation is different because then you would be entering into that, which is where 2 Corinthians 6 is helpful. If you say, I'm going to date a non-Christian, I don't care what anybody says, okay, well, let me just make it very clear. That's sin. If you're dating someone who's not a Christian, that's sin. You need to get out of that relationship before you make a bigger mistake and a bigger sin by marrying that person. Very clear. Unequally yoked to sin. And then fourthly, one we don't think of often, but disobeying your parents is sin. You might say, what does that have to do with this? Well, a lot of people, when it comes to their dating questions, it's all about their parents. Well, my parents don't want me to. They, they say it's not allowed, but I really like this. For Okay, well, hold on. That's it. That's it. Right? If they say no, well, then that's it. For how long? Well, as long as you're their child. Well, how long are you their child? Well, as long as you're in their home. Ephesians 6. And by the way, if you're an adult, let's say you're, I know this won't happen to any of you, but let's say you're 19 and you're in your second year of college and your parents say, we won't, don't let you date anybody. Okay, here's an easy solution. Move out. Just leave then. I'm not saying you should disobey their counsel, but like if, they, if they're like, no, you can't. Well, then, you know, if you can move out, then just think and move out, right? Then leave your father and mother, right? Not in an evil way, not like, oh, like, I hate you. Don't do that, right? That'd be dishonoring because this text is clear. If you're a child, you have to obey, which means if they say to do something or not to do something, those are the rules from God. As if God said, thus says the Lord, do not do that. Like, that's, that's, that's your rules. But... When you're no longer a kid, what does it say? Honor your father and mother. Right? That was a command given to the, uh, the Israelites as they were adults. So I have a responsibility. Your adult leaders have a responsibility still to honor their father and mother. Before God, we'll all be held accountable for that. But until you move out, until you go out on your own, here's the other additional responsibility that you have. It's to obey, which means if they say no, that's no. And if you're dating secretly, right, and they say that's not okay, well then then you are in sin because you are disobeying. Those are some clear boundaries. Now, the back of the page, this is where it gets really fun, okay? Uh, this is where the chart comes in. And I will tell you this right now. We like charts. Here's one of the reasons we like charts because they're very black and white, although this one's got some blue in it. But what you see here is again, I'm going to take one more step of departure. Have you noticed? First verse, clearly from the scripture. Second verse, systematic study of the whole scripture. Third point, this is what I've noticed as a trend or um, patterns. So stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, I don't have a Bible verse for you for these, okay? I have scriptures to help you, but this is just based on observation and what I'll probably tell you what I will tell you, I'm not probably, gonna, I'm going to actually say it. There are a very, 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 very small amount of people in this room who, if you ever get married, will not go through all four of these stages. You just will. It's just naturally what happens, okay? So these are not like definitive, like you have to do that. Like I'm just saying this is what happens. If you want to get married, if you talk to somebody who is married, they've gone through these four stages pretty much, right? Unless you're in some arranged marriage um, where 
you just meet your, your wife and then that's it, right? That, that's pretty quick, right? Then you're jumping stages, but okay. So do we understand that these four stages of romantic love, do we understand that we are departing further and further from biblical authority, which means it gets more into the realm of suggestion and advice, not as clearly as commands? Because point number two has all these commands from God. This is clearly what's allowed, clearly what's not allowed. These stages are based on observation, not based on revelation, which is a very key, important distinction. So let's talk about these. Stage one. This is where it gets fun, okay? Stage one. Stage one is that time where you see somebody, you like somebody, they like you. There's your, you're catching glances across the room. You're, talk, you're in groups of friends, and guess what? It's always the two of you that end up talking. That's stage one, okay? Um, what do people say about you in stage one? Well, they'll say something like this. Well, they like each other. Which I don't, Can I just say this? I don't like the word like because like to me means when I say I like something, it's like, yeah, like five out of ten, right? Like, do you like those tacos? Yeah, I like them. They're okay, right? I usually use like, oh, I really like those or I love them, right? When, when someone says, oh, I heard you, this guy likes this girl, it's never, you receive that like more than just, oh, like they, they will put up with them. Because that's usually what like means. It means I, I, they really like each other. They like each other in a romantic way, right? They, they want to pursue some kind of relationship. That's what we mean by like. So the reason I say that is because you know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I just think it's funny. I was like, oh, does this person like this person? It's like, we all like each other, right? Don't we? No, but it's, uh, it's different though, right? Okay, so what's the commitment level here? Well, the commitment level's casual, right? You're not, you're not married, right? You're not even dating at this point. You're just, you just like each other. Um, by the way, when I say the commitment level's casual, if you like somebody and then you stop liking somebody and you're protective in the sense that you tell all your friends, none of you are allowed to like this person wrong because it's casual you're not committed there's no commitment that's being broken here this is just getting to know each other it's just liking each other right this is you seeing people and then kind of keeping having the same kind of conversation with the same person right this is the fun part okay um here's some questions you should ask yourself at this stage if you want to go further with this you need to ask yourself do i actually like this person now sounds like a dumb question very important question because you might like things about how they make you feel, but you might not actually like them. You don't like them? Well, problems. Some people like the idea of being in a relationship, but they don't actually like the person they're in a relationship with. So, stage one, very important. You need to actually like that person. Yeah. Sometimes people are up, it's like, I didn't really even like them. It's like, well, you should have, you should have figured that out right, earlier. Okay, here's another hard question but it's a good one to ask. What do the people closest to me think? Because there will be friends that you have who are close to you that you trust who are like, red flag, red flag. Like, no, don't date that guy. No. Are you kidding me? No. And then, you know, guys, you'll have friends like, that girl, are you serious? No, absolutely not. Uh, and again, is your friend the ultimate judge on who you date? No, it's not. But your friends have a more objective look at it than you do if your feelings are in it at this point. So you'd be a wise person if your godly friends or mentors or leaders are like, whoa, 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 like, 
I don't, I don't think, I don't think so. Well, then you'd be wise to listen to them, especially at this first stage. There's no commitment. It's casual. There's no breakup that happens after this, right? There's no like, hey, I just have to tell you I'm breaking up with you. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, we've not like, we're not even, okay. So that's stage one. Here's some other essential people that you need in your life at this point. You need your parents, you need your friends, and you might even need some leaders. They should know. You shouldn't go through stage one on a complete secret and then everyone finds out, oh, we've been dating for five months. What? Like, that's not smart. Now, what I don't mean is tell everyone that you've ever met that you like this person. That's creepy. (laughs) They'll find out, that's weird. Uh, They'll scare them away. But a couple people, right? I'm not talking about everybody, but you should have people that are in the know about this, especially your parents. Do you see how I say your parents? Your parents, that's the hardest people on that whole list to talk to about this. I want you to imagine, would your parents' head pop off their head, off their neck, sorry, or however you want to envision that, (laughs) if you went up to them and said, yeah, there's this, like, girl at school, I... I really like her. Her name is such and such, and yeah, she's really funny. Like, yeah, I've been really getting to know her. Your mom would be like, honey, come here. Like, talk to your son. Talk to your... What? Yeah. And here's the thing. A lot of you don't want to have that conversation because you're afraid that your parents are going to do that. Um, your parents are so important. Back in the day, I'd say they're so important that you can't get married at all unless your dad gives you away, right? That's how it used to be. Now, you say, well, you know, less important. But still, do they need to be involved in the process? I think so. With some extreme circumstances, barring those, which there are some, um, your parents should be in the know and be involved in that. Leaders, friends. Okay, enough said. Um, Some scriptures that might help you at this point in stage one, very important one, Proverbs 4, 23, says you should keep your heart with all vigilance. Know where your feelings are pointed. Keep it. Keep your heart in a cage. That's the idea. Because from it flow the springs of life. You will live out of your desires, and you need to make sure you know where your desires are and that you don't fall into something. Do you notice what I said? Don't fall into something. You fall into holes and pits and bear traps. You fall into bad things, right? you got to be intentional about falling in love. He says, put away from you crooked speech and devious talk far from you. Right? This is talking about the, the whole course of life. This isn't a dating verse, right? but it applies to dating. Keep your whole life in control. Let your eyes look directly forward. Right? If you feel like you're being led and your heart is leading you to be with someone that you know in your head, Ephesians 5.33, and all of what we just talked about would be wrong, well then keep your heart. Your head needs to take over your heart at that point. This is kind of what he's getting at. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. Don't turn your foot away from evil. Or turn your foot away from evil. He's saying don't walk in that path. Another passage that might be helpful, especially if you feel like you're not finding anybody or you want to date, but you don't want it to be an idol and you're concerned about that. Well, Psalm 37, 4 and 5 is very helpful for you. It says this, delight yourself in the Lord. That means make God the center of your affections or your love. Love him first, 
care about his things, care about serving him, care about loving him, care about being devoted to him, make that where your heart is all centered around him. And then it says, well, then he will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't say focus on God so that you can get the other stuff. The whole point is God is drawing your heart to like a center point, which is him, where he'll satisfy you. If, if you are seeking satisfaction apart from him or away from him, there's no promise for you here. Because the idea is you got to delight yourself in the Lord first, and then he will satisfy you. But like, because you're loving and wanting him, it says commit your way to the Lord, which literally means the idea is taking a big stone or a big rock or a big wheel and rolling it over. Commit your way to the Lord means take your things and your desires and roll them over to God and say, God, whatever you want me to do. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and then he'll act. So many of you, when it comes to romance, want to fight God because there's a person that you like that you know you shouldn't or there's a relationship that you want to keep that you know you shouldn't keep. And because of that, you're fighting against God. Psalm 37 says, roll it over to the Lord. Trust him. Give it up. Or if you're seeking spouse, just trust God. He'll act. Some advice, this is, you know, the furthest down the list. Uh, but my advice to you, all, all the last box is just, just some personal things I want to tell you. Take this slower than you want to. You'll want to move quickly through this stage. Take this part slower, especially for you right now as a high school student. Take this part slower. You're going to want to move really fast. Take this part slow. Um, and by the way, also get to know a lot of different Christians. If you date the first person that you ever like, First person that you ever like. It might just be because they like you, and it's like, well, they like me, so they're pretty cool. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't end up with the first person you ever like. It's happened before, right? It's not common, but it happens. Um, My point is, it's wise for you to get to know a lot of other Christians at this point in a way that, you know, it's not like you're not dating them. It's not like you have like 10 girlfriends. That's not my point. but the point is, you should know a lot of Christians. Before you make a choice, even if, you, if there's someone that you like, this might even be a further piece of advice, but if there's someone that you like and you want to date, well, get to know their friends. Get to know other girls that are, are in the, her friend circle or get to know other guys that are with him because you'll either have them stand out or you'll realize they're the loser of the group, right? And remember the first thing, don't date the loser, right? And if you're a guy, stop being a loser. Just, just be normal and you'll be fine, right? You'll be fine. All right. (laughs) Stage one. What do we say? Take us slow through stage one. Now stage two. This is what everyone wants to talk about. Now now people say, oh, you're dating. You're a boyfriend and girlfriend. We had a DTR. You know what a DTR means? Defining the relationship. That was really popular when I was in high school. Have you had your DTR yet? There's a table at the college I went to. There was a high table, and it was called the DTR table. It's where all these couples at this Christian college I went to always had their DTRs. I had no DTRs there. I dated a girl from, from Compass, Alexandra. All right. Um, dating. Boyfriend, girlfriend. Right? What's the level here? Well, it's committed to an extent. I mean, you're not, like, committed for life or anything. But, like, if you were, let's say, uh, dating somebody... This is a bad example, but if you're dating somebody and you have school dance coming up and you're like, well, you know, I got my girlfriend here. I'll ask her to prom, but you know what? I've actually got this other girl that I'm kind of friends with who's been super cool. Let me just ask her. How's that going to go? 
Not very good. You're committed, right? There's a level of commitment there, right? You're not married, but like there's an understanding. Oh, here's the other thing, by the way. People should know this. If you're in stage two, you're bringing this out to the public, right? You don't do this secretly. You don't have some secret relationship, which happens so often. People late at night texting, 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 and they're, they're just, they're, they're basically stage two. I mean, they're talking about baby names, you know, on text message at one in the morning, right? I did not do that. It sounded like I, had, I did not, never, never. No, seriously, trust me. No, no, did not. But there's a temptation for you to keep this secret, especially if, going back to letter D of point number two, you don't want your parents to know, right? So this is committed. This is out in the open. Some questions that you should ask is, do I actually want to marry this person? Really? Not just do I like them, not just do I like spending time with them, but is this guy husband material? Is this girl wife material? Sometimes that simple question, if you actually honestly answer it, take your feelings out of it for two seconds. I know it's hard, but just, just for a second. And sometimes you come to the conclusion, oh, man, I shouldn't be in this relationship anymore. Oh, man, I, I don't really want to marry this person. Also, another question you should ask, are we a good and compatible match? Here's what I mean by that. I guess it's possible to take two Christians, a guy and a girl, who are relatively the same age, who are both Christians. And we can say, you know what? We decide as the church, you're going to get married. I don't care if you like each other, you might dislike each other, you're going to get married. We could, and not that we could do that, but in theory, imagine, we could do that, and guess what? They could stay married for the rest of their life. That happened for centuries, okay? That's how it worked. And guess what? The divorce rate was a lot lower back then, okay? So we could do that, and you could do that. And some of you, you know, are saying, oh, can we please do that? Um, no. And it's only guys who think that, by the way. Only guys that want their assignment, right? No, it's not how it works now. But if we were to do that, we could do that, and it would work out. But guess what? It probably wouldn't work out all that great. We have some good matches and some really bad matches, some really incompatible people. So here's my point. One question you should be asking is, are we actually compatible in the sense that, like, you know, this guy is actually worthy of this girl's respect. And this girl actually wants to commit. Like, you got to ask this question. Are we actually compatible? Do we actually get along? Do we fight all the time? Some of you are in dating relationships where you fight all the time and you pretend like it doesn't happen. You think you're going to be in a good marriage? Like, can I just give you a little pastoral advice? No, it's going to suck. Like, I mean, the marriage might be fine, but like, your relationship will be rough. If you're fighting all the time while dating, you think it's going to get better when you're married? You think it's going to get better when you're 35? You think it's going to be better when your daughter's waking up in the middle of the night? No, it just gets harder, right? So if you're not compatible, it's worthy of you saying, you know what? We're both Christians. We can care about each other, but we're, we're not the right match for each other. Essential people you need. I've said this before, but I really highly recommend if you're dating... It's good for you to get an accountability person who's an adult who is married. And this could be your, your dad if you're a guy. This could be your mom if you're a girl. Or it could be a leader who's married. Um, and the reason I say married is because there's a certain help that they can give you because they got all the way to stage four, right? And they're there. Accountability. Okay. 
some scriptures that will be very helpful for you. Song of Solomon 8.4, at the end of this book about marriage and love and getting married, right? In the middle of the book, they, you know, husband and wife, they get married. Well, at the very end, it says, I adjure you, which means I, I press. I, I, you got to listen to this. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem. Who are the daughters of Jerusalem? Those are the virgins. Those are the girls who aren't married. Right? Those are the people that are single. I adjure you. Please, single people. It's like the married people are screaming this at the single people. Please, 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 don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. You go too fast sometimes. Don't stir it up. Because here's the thing about love. When you stir it up, how, how do you put it back? Right? Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, once you've said it, I love you, right? try putting that back in, right? I mean, I don't anymore. Like, practically, it's just hard. Once you show physical affection to a certain level, can you ever like say, you know what? We're going to like, now I'm not, like, that's really hard to do. So the point is, take it slow before that happens. Don't stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And by the way, it pleases is about marriage. That's what we're talking about in that book. Proverbs 6, we've mentioned this before, but can you carry fire close to your chest and your clothes not be burned? If you've got a temptation that's so strong, can you put yourself in a situation where it's going to look really hard for you and expect not to fall? Can you walk on hot coals and your feet not be scorched? The point is like, no, you can't. Right? If you're walking into a problem, if you're walking into an area of temptation that for you is so strong that you can't even be alone, well, then, then don't. Don't walk on If you can't, then don't. Some advice relating to that. You need to be very careful, very careful in how you date. Specifically, date out in the open. What I mean by that is uh, that you're not keeping your relationship status a secret, specifically from your parents, never, but even from other people. Once you get to stage two, you need to be willing to go Instagram official, right? Or at least be real official. You need to at least be willing that people would know, right? Date out in the open, no secrets. Also, speaking of being out in the open, you need to spend more time in public places. Uh, let's say you're tempted to cross physical barriers that you shouldn't. I want to ask you, uh, are you more likely to do that uh, during the 9 o'clock service in main service, sitting next to some old people? Or, you know, in your car where you found the spot where people you know, usually don't go, and it's at night, and you're just hoping that no one's going to pass by and you get there and you, know, you park and you've got something to do there and you're just going to talk like you normally do but not always just talking and then it becomes a lot of different things. Where are you more tempted to sin? Now, my point is not that you have to be in main service at 9 o'clock every time, but my point is, you know, instead of being in your car, finding that spot that's dark, going away from everyone purposefully, Instead of going there, you're, you are walking into a trap. As Proverbs 7 says, you're like, a, you're like a deer walking into an arrow where your heart's going to be pierced. Um, or you could say, you know what, we're going to you know, go to In-N-Out, which is really bright. Have you noticed that In-N-Out's really bright? Right? Chick-fil-A, really bright. Just like inside, it's just blinding. In-N-Out's even worse. Right? It's just like... Which I noticed, I, you know, Haha, but do you understand that, uh, yeah, 
You want to not sin? Well, then stop setting yourself up for sin. Some of you set yourself up for sin because you want to, frankly. And this is all just a rehearsal and a joke for you to write stuff down because you don't, you don't, you know, give a rip because you want to sin. Okay. Well, uh, the stars of those who run after another God shall multiply. So, all right. Maybe most important of all, for you pious people who are, you know, no, we don't cross any physical. Okay, don't get married in your mind. Do you know what that means? It means stop talking like you're married. Stop talking like you're definitely going to be together because you don't know at this point. Stage two, you don't know. Right? And frankly, at stage four, you don't know because, you know, you could die. And then, then yeah, as the scriptures say, your wife goes to another, right? So, you know, they're not even yours forever anyway. But... Stage two, you certainly don't know, and you shouldn't be talking like it. And frankly, it's not just about talking. It's your heart. Your heart gets so wrapped up. Specifically, some of you ladies, your heart gets so wrapped up, and that's why breaking up is like the world is over. It's like someone died. That's how it feels for you. Okay, here's why. Because it's not meant to happen. That feeling you have when you break up, if you got married in your mind, it's like the feeling that widows have when their husband dies. Obviously not as extreme, but the whole point is you're not even meant to do that. So before you get married, don't get married in your mind. Please don't get married in your mind. Okay, stage three. What's stage three? Well, this is where everybody thinks they are, but really a lot of you are actually in stage two. Here's what people will say about you. Oh, they're about to get married. They're getting married soon. Right. Or, you know, they might say that you're, you're engaged. I think this stage starts before you propose. It's when you start making real plans about, all right, you know, got one year left of college, or, or you know, I, she's working and he's working. Okay, when can we financially make it work? And then you're, you could get to stage three, which is, by the way, I'm the pastor of Alliance, so I see a lot of people go from stage one to stage two to stage three to stage four. Um, stage one's pretty quick in Alliance, right, because they're going on on dates and they become Instagram official, although it takes me a long time. I have to go around Alliance people in line, she knows. I have to like pull it out of people. Like, hey, how long have you been? Oh, for a couple months. Like, hey, why didn't you tell me? Why isn't that the first person? I'm just kidding. Uh, sometimes I'll joke, you didn't tell me, man. Like, it's been three months you've been dating? Uh, you got to tell me. Um, tell in the open, right? Stage one's pretty quick, right, for those adults. Stage one should be longer for you. Stage two is really long for a lot of you. If you, like, let's say you're a senior in high school and you, you know, date somebody and then you're serious boyfriend and girlfriend, your stage two could last three years, right? Could, right? Stage three is where it's like you're really making plans. <laughs> My stage three was so fast. Um, yeah, I have, I have a couple minutes. Here's, here's, here's my stage three. I was in a meeting. This is very unromantic, but I think you've heard this story. When I plan to propose, okay. So I was in a meeting. My admin at the time it was, I was in junior high, right, uh, leading the narrow. This was probably August 2018. And she said, hey, we're, we're working on the spring calendar. Didn't you say you wanted to get married in the spring? I'm like, yeah, I did say that. She's like, well, let's find a date. Because we had, uh, what was it, TNN on Fridays back then. So we looked in May, and there was only one. So I, I could have picked May 31st, which is my parents' anniversary. And I'm like, no go. Uh, or the week before, the Friday before was uh, May 24th. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And then, you know, Rachel Barnett, my admin, was like, 
have you talked? Like, okay, I'll deal with it. And then that day I went and talked to my dad. I'm like, hey, we just pulled up on schedule. The only day we can get married, you know, is May 24th. So it was like, okay, so do you want to go buy a ring? So we went and bought a ring that afternoon. <laughs> Literally woke up in the morning, wasn't on my mind, right? Good admin says, hey, you should think about it. And I say, great. And we make the whole plan. And then I, you know, then we go buy the ring. And then on Friday, I talk to her dad. And then on Monday, boom, engaged, Labor Day. Okay, so stage three was really fast for me. <laughs> well, not really fast, because we were engaged for nine months. But my movement from like, yeah, we're going to get married soon, to, you know, engaged was a 20-minute conversation. So, so what's the commitment level here? Well, it's highly committed, right? Because, I mean, you're engaged or you're about to be married, right? Breaking up at this stage, can you do it? Yes, you can. Uh, is it a big deal if you do it? Yeah, it's a big deal right? If you're planning on marriage or being engaged, I, 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 I do alliance, which means I do premarital counseling, my first ever premarital counseling. I'm so excited, right? We're going to marry this first couple that I ever did. It's awesome, right? We made it through like five of the eight meetings, and then she calls me and says, I think I'm going to break up with him. And I'm like, oh, okay. Talk to her, you know. She tells me reasons why. I'm like, okay, that's, that makes sense. Hey, if you're, if, if you're deciding this, you got to do it. Just okay. And then a couple days later, broke up. And then I said, you know, I'm 0 for 1, right? Uh, I'm premarital counseling. So, okay, Pastor Lucas said his record was bad at the beginning, too. Uh, but yeah, so can you get, you know, can you break up when you're engaged? You can break up. You can break up. Can I say this? You can break up. Some of you ladies think, I can't break up if I have a ring on my finger and I'm engaged. Yes, you can break up. Are there more consequences? Yes. Are you sinning before God by breaking up? No, you're not. You can break up. Why? Because you're not married. You can break up. Highly committed, but breakup is allowable. Um, so what are some questions you should ask? One question I said is, how do I need to grow before marrying this person? Because now you've got the object in mind. Now you're not just saying, hey, one day I'll be a wife, or one day I'll be a husband. Now you're saying, I'll be this person's husband, or this person's wife. How do I need to grow so, I, so as I could be the best spouse for them. Very important. Other essential people you need. Um, hopefully, I don't break you up, but premarital counseling with a pastor. Even if you don't go to our church, even if you're across the country, ask your pastor, hey, what do you guys do for like premarital counseling? Right? At the very least. He'll meet with you a couple times. Some, some churches do it like class style, where they'll like have all the ma- engaged people like do some lectures for a little bit and then do some reading and then maybe meet with a mentor couple. Churches do it differently. Our church does a, one pastor meets with the couple one-on-one like six or seven or eight times depending on the need of the couple. Um, so that's what we do, right? I'm, I'm doing like, I guess I'm only doing one premarital counseling right now. Um, but every spring, it's like I'm doing a couple at a time, right? Nobody gets married in like, I don't know, November. Some people do, but okay. Point is, Talk to your pastor at that stage, right? And again, if you're like, hey, I'm 18, like I want to get married, I want to do premarital counseling, maybe we should talk about it, right? But I might not say, great, let's do premarital counseling. Maybe we'll do pre-premarital counseling, which is, hey, are we in stage three yet? Are we sure, right? Anyway, all right, scriptures to help you. Well, the scriptures actually do talk about people in stage three. I don't know if you know this, but it talks to people who are betrothed, which was a pre-marriage agreement to be married soon, okay? So here's what Paul says. He says, if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, any guy out there who feels like, man, I I feel like I'm not treating my betrothed right, it'd be better if we got married. 
and his passions are strong, right? We're talking about sexual stuff right there, right? He feels like, oh, man, I really want to be married, and it has to be. Well, then let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's not sin, which is interesting because some people would say it was sin to get married at that time. He says, no, it's not sin. You can get married. That's fine. And here's the point from this verse. If you're in stage three, you should be moving to marriage as fast as you can. Spiritually, financially ready. Both, both those things are important. Don't get married just if you have a lot of money, right? Uh, don't get married just if you're spiritually ready, but you can't provide for yourselves. You got to be able to do both. But move to marriage quickly once you're at stage three. I'm not saying get to stage three fast. I'm saying once you're there, it doesn't have to be 20-minute conversation like mine was, but just make it quick if you can. Don't be engaged for two years, my point, um, if you can avoid it. The reason I say Genesis 2.24 is because this text gives you the framework for what it looks like to actually be married. What do you have to do? Leave your father and mother. Can't afford to leave your father and mother? Then you can't get married yet. Right? So... Once you get to that place, and with the added element, you feel like you're spiritually ready, you feel like you're actually ready to be a husband or ready to be a wife, then get married. Okay. Advice for me. Get married as soon as you're spiritually and financially ready. Once you're in stage three. I didn't say in stage one. I didn't say in stage two. I said once you're finally to that, like, we want to get married. Okay, well, then what's the wait? And then when people say, oh, I ask them, hey, when you guys, are you guys going to get married? Yeah, we want to get married soon. Okay, well, then... You know, let's do it sooner. Want to get married in two years? Well, can we do it in a year? How about in six months? Can we do that? Because that'd, that'd be better, right? And all the guys say, yeah, that would be better. All the girls say, well, you know, I, I mean, six months would be winter, and then I got to have a spring wedding. And, okay, well, nine months. Let's compromise, right? Okay, stage four. What do people say about you in stage four? This is important, and and funny enough, this is where the majority of the scriptural backing has to do with this, when people are actually married. Because remember, back in the day, you're getting married, ladies, at 14, 15, 16, right, to whoever your family chose. Guys, you're getting married at 16, 17, 18, 19, up until, you know, 30. Some people who went to war got wives later, right? Obviously, they did military service, so, you know, different age groups. But basically, by this point in your life, your marriage partner was probably chosen for you, okay? That's why the majority of the scripture talks to married people. Because even back then, tons of people were married. Um, so what's the commitment level there? Well, committed for life. Well, as long as they turn out to be a good guy. Well, as long as she turns out to be a good girl. No. Committed for life. Again, with your extreme exceptions that Jesus lays out and Paul lays out with that contingency. What are some questions you should ask? Well, two questions. How can I please my husband? How can I please my wife? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? Those are the questions you should be asking. Notice, you need to keep asking those questions. You don't stop your romance once you get to your wedding day. And by the way, so many people think that the wedding day is the finish line, right? It's like, that's when I'm there. Okay, well, that's not really the finish line. That's kind of the starting line, okay? I'm not saying everything before that's not important. It, that's all the prep, right? That's the prep for the race that starts where the starting line is the day you get married. How can I be a better husband, better wife? Um, some other things, some people that you need. You need a biblical church family. You need one. So many people get married and they think, all I need is my spouse. You don't, you don't need just your spouse. You need a biblical church family. And frankly, you also need like-minded Christian couples as friends. You need those. Try, try to do your first couple years without knowing anybody who's in a similar life stage. Try to do that. It's going to be really hard. Right? 
even if they're not newlyweds that you get to know, even if they're just older married couples, you need to find like-minded Christian couples as friends. Yeah, what happens is you, you, sometimes you lose a lot of the old friends because now, you know, your single friends or your single friends, your married friends, it's all different. I know it changes, but you need a church family. Some scriptures that should help you. These are ones that we've all talked about in the series before, so I didn't put them on the screen, just some ones to write down. The scripture has a lot to say to married people. Ephesians 5 says, love your wives, submit to your husbands. 1 Peter 3 says, be respectful. Even if your husband is not a Christian, he says to these ladies who became Christians after they got married. Then he says, husbands, treat your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them. Proverbs 5 says that you should keep your romance alive. Always be intoxicated in their love. That's a big statement. Song of Solomon has a lot to say about that too. Here's the last piece of advice specifically. I know you've got a lot of single people, but married people, remember this. Never stop growing in your romantic relationship. Don't stop. I hope that's an exciting thing for you. Back to you high school students. To think the romance doesn't end when we get married. The romance doesn't end, you know, on the wedding day when all the flowers get taken away and the dress goes back in the bag for the next 20 years. That's not when the romance ends. You need to continue to grow in that. The nice thing is, back to this little red man, you only need one. That's the nice thing. Well, that's a lot. I hope that that was helpful for you. And if you're like, man, I got a lot of questions. What do you mean about this? What do you mean about that? Well, great. We've got something on Wednesday night. We're not doing small groups because small groups would be kind of awkward. Who do you like? No, that's not, not doing that. But hopefully this Wednesday will be helpful. Let me pray real quick. Let me pray for us before we head out and have those donuts. Let's pray. God, we're thankful that your word does give us some clear guidelines about what we should and shouldn't do. I know within your boundaries, there's so much question. And I pray that we you know, cover some of that more uh, on Wednesday. But I pray that all of us would seek to honor you in our relationships. I pray that those of us who are in unequally yoked relationships, would break them off today. Pray that those of us who are making romance an idol would repent today. Pray for those people who are in sexual immorality in this room. Pray that they would repent today. Pray for the people who are disobeying their parents to repent today. Pray that those guidelines and phases and stages of romance would be helpful for us. Pray that we'd honor you in all of it. We want to do what your will is no matter what. We want to please you, even if we feel like we're sacrificing what we want. Ultimately, we want to honor and serve you. So I pray that would be all of our mindset as we approach this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.